Oscar Poker. every now and then for poor Lex G who was talking about committing suicide again. Oh God. Okay. So let's do a shout out to Lex G who I think listens to our podcast. Does he? <laughs> yeah. After the fact <laughs> I, I wrote him, but he's not even responding. Oh God. Really? I thought he was just kidding. Uh, he's always talking about this. It sort of goes with his, uh, is he... so you're saying don't, if, if people who are really going to commit suicide, don't talk about it, they just do it. Is that what you're saying? Generally speaking, although that's not entirely, you know, I know that generally the more they talk about it, the less, the more they're looking for people to come and offer some kind of help. Mm. Uh, um, there's a, uh, uh, there's also the, the condition of depression that uh, at least I know of, of it. it. It's a, uh, um, it's a very, very uh, uh, energy sapping uh, state of mind. It doesn't allow for good writing or, or even writing of any kind. Mm. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, for those who are listening who don't know who Lex G is, he's a regular commenter on um, Jeff's site, Hollywood Elsewhere. He also comments a lot on um, David Pullen's site, Movie City News, on the Hot Blog. He's also um, an exceptional writer, though. He's he knows how to run with a thread of uh, a thought and, yeah. and, and and keep with it and and. Uh, He's very, very blunt and candid and honest. I think he's an exceptional. Uh, I do too. I, I actually really admire him. I used to think he was just the kind of the persona he puts out there, which is sort of an Andrew Dice Clay meets Howard Stern. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's sort of like, I want to date a young white woman, a uh, <laughs> young white girl, you know, with pretty feet. And um, I'm sick of all the minorities I see every day. And. Kristen Stewart is my goddess. Look, <laughs> look at her. Look at her. You know, um, but underneath all that persona uh, is is actually quite an exceptional person. He's. I, I know people are going to think that's crazy, and everybody wants to write him off as being a sexist, maybe pedophile pig, but he's not. He's um, he's actually he knows it's a persona, and he's actually really kind and and funny and sensitive underneath it all. Yeah. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but I've exchanged a few personal emails with him, and he really <laughs> is a, a, quite a cool guy. And I just yeah. hate when he gets into this trip. I, I prefer him when he's writing about movies and the occasional observation about the blogosphere. You know, I just think he's really intelligent and yeah. um, very talented as a writer. And he could have everything he wanted if he just, you know, could take a cue from all the like douchebag bloggers out there who, you know, really think that. That they're just, you know, the greatest thing ever, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. um, and that you're lucky to have them at, at your screening, and you know, 
Mm-hmm. He could be one of those guys so easily, and he could have anything he wanted, you know. But he well, doesn't. here's the thing that also bothers me about it. Uh, I said that if he wanted to become a regular contributor, uh, have his own column, and 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 uh, as you know, I would give him addresses and emails of everybody, and if he wanted to get into screenings and be and sort of you know vigorously get into that whole thing, which I think they'd probably oblige him with, uh, you know, slowly as, uh, at first, but they would oblige him, and he could really uh, be a part of that community and make this you know. But because uh, he can't expect to say, listen, I'm a really good writer. I want to get paid for it. It doesn't work. Yeah, like no, he that. actually can't, though. I talked to him about it, too. He actually can't do it because of his job. He can't talk about movies because he works on them. And so he's bound to confidentiality, at least until he starts making money as a blogger, which isn't really being offered to him on right now. Uh-huh. Um, his actually his real life is very complicated and it keeps him from doing really what he wants. So all he's stuck in this place of this is what I want. This is what I can't have. And so I'm just going to whine about it. Yeah. I hate it when he does that suicide thing, though, because I don't I mean, he threatened to go and move back home to Michigan or wherever it was that he's from. Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Pittsburgh, I think it was. It's Pittsburgh. And he never did. So he stayed here. So I'm hoping that this is just, you know, his joking around he he did say on your on your comment site that he had quit drinking and he lost all his weight and just the other day on twitter he, he announced proudly that he had started drinking again yeah uh that's um the 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 body is uh, is uh, knows when it's being treated well it it is uh, and the the spirit feels good about uh the when you're when you're doing well by yourself you, you know you know when you're doing the right thing hmm. <clears throat> so uh i think conversely when you fall off the wagon uh, you start uh, succumbing to these moods. I mean, you want that uh, elation of being slightly high or getting buzzed on, on alcohol, but th- that it turns around and be- leads you into the pits of despair. Yeah. And uh, I, that's probably what happened to him. I think, yeah, that and, and also when you drink, you just don't have a filter. You just say whatever's on your mind, and I think yeah. he, he's guilty of doing that. Yeah. Uh, stopping drinking was like the best thing he ever did. His comments on your on your site were so clear and funny and interesting. Yeah, um, I agree. Completely. So yeah. I, if you're listening, Lex, you're the you're the best man. But put down that beer <laughs> and the kitty porn. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> all right. So speaking of kitty porn, we've got to talk about Harry Potter. Okay. Well, the last thing I said. I mean, apart from uh, you, you could start off, uh, Sasha, because you're more immersed in it, and um, and I could just follow in with my um, mm. my oddball comments. But we're both. I was pretty okay <laughs> with it. I would say maybe a bit more than okay. I was actually satisfied with it, and yeah. I didn't expect to feel satisfaction. I felt I expected because I knew it was good. I heard the good reviews, read the good reviews. That it was going to be, you know, definitely tolerable, and mm-hmm. uh, I could get through it. Well, it was a little better than tolerable, and for me, that's saying something. So I know, so. me too. I was really expecting to sit there in utter misery the whole time, <laughs> but it was like um, mm-hmm. it was beautiful to look at, you know. The, yeah. the visual effects were, I think, the best that they've ever been. Um, when they have the dragon, the dragon is just incredible. It's like something out of Avatar. Um, and the uh, the fight between Voldemort and Harry at the end is just magnificent. It's it's actually thrilling to watch so much so that you don't care all that much when they start to get into the the details of the characters because that that stuff is impossible to follow unless you know the books. Yeah. Who's yeah. who, who this person is, who that person is. You know, it's just, it's all so complicated. 
And Emma knows all this stuff backwards and forwards, I yeah, guess. Yeah, Emma, my 13-year-old daughter, yes, who wore a Harry Potter cape, which she made by herself, by the way. She sewed that thing. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And it looks like it's made of velour or... Um, yeah, like a velvet. Yeah, she made oh. it herself and uh, she Hold wore... on for the fire engines. Hang on. Okay. Oh, God. I hope it's not for Lex G. <laughs> There's somebody zooming down the Melrose Avenue. So, no, it was really pretty. Uh, really nice, nice, uh, nice looking. So she has pals that are in, on the same level with this thing. Yeah, they're all obsessed with it on Facebook. They're completely yeah. obsessed with Harry Potter, especially now that it's coming to an end. I think when something comes to an end, you... you you know, you gain a new appreciation for it. After all these years, it's like 11 years we've been watching Harry Potter movies, yeah. basically almost my whole, my daughter's whole life. And yeah. she's obsessed. Yeah. She's read like the Goblet of Fire like maybe 20 times or something. Mm -hmm. She knows the books inside and out. And she she grew up with this. So I think I even felt a little bit of melancholy watching it, thinking, oh, wow, this is the last Harry Potter movie. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I even teared up once or twice, you know, mm -hmm. in between kind of, you know. you know what was cool? It was really interesting. They had a, uh, a little insert of uh, of Daniel Radcliffe when he, I guess, in the, in his first uh, in the first film when he was um, uh, maybe what was he eleven when they hired him? Something like that. Yeah, I don't know and exactly. He, he, they all looked, you know, and it's, of course, you know, you just forget. They, they looked. Uh, he looked so young, and so uh, uh, you know, things things change, and you get used to the. the to the present very quickly. So, mm, yeah. Um, so I um, thought it was so, it was kind of touching and enduring to see him as a really young fellow again. I know. We watched them grow up at the same time that the, the characters grew up. Yeah. Um, I think that our both of us have the same problem with it, which is not the movie's fault. It's the writing. It's J.K. Rowling who basically just abandoned Hermione as a character. It was like she starts out being the smartest kid in class. She's yeah. really got it in the beginning. Yeah. And, you know, a great role model for young girls who, who want to do well in school and get straight A's and be smart. And yeah. then she just completely cops out and, and becomes Ron's girlfriend, you know, and she doesn't even lead any of the spells anymore or mm -hmm. it just get worse and worse movie by movie until this where she's just she becomes a wife, you know. Well, wait a minute now. Um, were, were they lovers or romantic uh, couple before this film? Who? Uh, Hermione and Ron, did they get together in the last one? Yeah, that they're already starting to like each other by then. Yeah, because this is the second part Were of they the last book. Kissing in the last one? I don't think they kissed. They were flirting. Um, right. I think this was their first actual kiss. I think okay. that in the last one, which was Deathly Hallows Part One, right. Harry and Hermione, you know, do that slow dance thing, but they don't kiss. You know. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, so I think that Harry's gay anyway. So. <laughs> Which is fine. Uh, he seems pretty happy anyway. He's a really pretty complete fellow. So he was. <laughs> he's not gay though. He's with. I don't. Ginny. I don't mean Daniel Radcliffe. I mean the character. No, I know he's not though. He's with Ginny. He marries Ginny, and they have kids. And I think he's a closet case. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Dumbledore was the gay one. <laughs> yes, Dumbledore. That's what I mean. There's that influence early on. He was quite the the prime influence of Harry, of course. <laughs> uh, let me just say what I did write here. I'll, I'll write it. So I just wrote this about 10 minutes ago. Okay. I have one complaint and one observation. Uh, it is profoundly displeasing to see Hermione, Emma Watson, and Ron Weasley, Rupert Grint, end up as romantic lovers and then <laughs> husband and wife with kids. That's not right. Hermione deserves better and can do better. She's too cool, <laughs> too spirited, and too alluring to end up with a red-haired, <laughs> second-rater, <laughs> been whining and shivering with terror 
in the face of each and every threat in every Harry Potter film from the beginning. <laughs> a hot and brave lady should end up with a brave and strapping lad who's earned her favors, i.e. not Grint. So. Mm, well, that's funny. And yeah. I don't mind that she ends up with Ron. And the, the Ron is like the cute one, right? He's the one all the girls have a crush on. So nobody well, cares he's, about that. He's the cute one? He's a cute the... one to girls. To girls, he's the cute well, let me one. Let add my last paragraph. He's obviously he's developing, becoming a bit of a pudge bud at only, <laughs> only 21 years old. It was 21 when they shot this. He's now 22. He'll be 23 in August. Um, he's developing a bit of a belly and the beginnings of a some sort of a Uriah Heap look. <laughs> <laughs> Having a kind of Shrek-like appearance by the time he's 28 or 30. Shrek. I don't know what you're talking about. But yeah. Cute, you know. Shrek like. <laughs> He's, you're, if, if you're going to have a nice, tight bod and, and be like in the prime of your life, you're going to be there when you're 21. If you're starting to show hulky Uriah Heap uh, appearances at 21, you are going to be a mess by the time you're 30. Well, you know, to their credit, at the end when he's the parent, they do show him kind of. They've they've padded him a lot at the end. Yeah. I didn't okay. think he looked pudgy at all. I thought he looked. He's not, he's not the young, strapping kid who has no body fat. And, you know, kids that are 21, that's about as lean as it gets. I mean, they're, they're, in, they're in the prime of their life. Or, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, you know, that area. I understand <laughs> that people grow into who they are in their cells. And you're right. Don't. No, I, I know. I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't think necessarily. I think he, he'll end up looking like Daniel Craig, in my opinion. You know, just start working out. He'll start looking like Daniel Craig, kind of beefy, but muscular and, and stocky. And Doesn't I have think, the shoulders. Well, I yeah, listen. He tone at all. He has a very kind of soft bodied guy who likes to drink a lot and had been. They took off their their shirts, and they yeah. were, they were both looking pretty good. I thought. I didn't think so. <laughs> no. When they took off her shirts, is when I started thinking that he's he's this old, <laughs> because he's got the, the belly sticking out, and he's only twenty two years oh, old. Oh gosh, I didn't see the belly at all. But um. Watch the DVD someday. It's there. I will. I will. But I'm not no. saying he looks awful. He's just starting to show signs of someone who is going to have a. Uh, a not toned up, not hot guy look in a few years. You know, he's he's on the mm. way, on his way. Well, you know, he can turn it around. Just goes to the gym, right? That's right. Um, always turn. Certainly, when you're young, it's no big deal to turn yourself around. At oh all. yeah, piece of cake. Um, yeah. for right. him. But you know, um, but the problem with Hermione, I thought, wasn't that she just ends up with Ron. It was that she just she completely lacks ambition. And apparently, J.K. Rowling has said in interviews that she imagined Hermione to become like a lawyer. But of course, that's not written into the story at all. You know, yeah. she does nothing with her ambition, and she starts out the most ambitious of all of them. I would love to have seen her become, you know, like the headmistress of the school or something. I mean, what? how great would that be? But instead, she just becomes okay. Let's take our kids to. To school now you know mm -hmm. i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that just that, that uh, that's fine if that's what people choose out of life but it just seems like her kind of tells you though that from the standpoint of um of um of the author um miss rowling uh you're the time of your life that the peak of your life is when you're of that uh that that that, that, right. that young age when when everything's a exciting challenge everything is thrilling everything is a Right. You know, like your teen years and up to, say, 20 or something is, is like the peak because... And then it's all a wash. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, time to get married and get, get jobs and... Not even get jobs. Let's get married and that's that. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, um, 
Yeah. It's it's a shame that 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 I think that she she sacrificed a character and, and in that way I think it's a it ultimately is a weak story. Yeah. And not the the film's fault. I thought that I don't think the films are weak. I think that the story, the source material right. because I don't think ultimately that Harry is all that interesting of a character. The, you know, the depth of him. And I don't think that I don't like what they did with Hermione, those two things. But, you know, that's separate from what the movie is and what the movies are, which are incredible feats of special effects. I mean, really, this whole world of magic that she created and that the directors have created, it's pretty amazing. I mean, we've never seen anything like it, really. The Lord of the Rings movies were just three movies, but this is, you know, seven movies. Yeah, um, yeah. It's incredible. I mean, it's an incredible achievement altogether. So... That's why I think that there's a really good chance it could end up in the best picture race. Oh, just as one of those, because you've come to the end and you've made so much money, it's time to give you an award. Yeah, but I also think that this movie's going to make a lot of money, like kind of flirting with Avatar's number. Yeah, it could do very, very well. Who, yeah. who wouldn't want to see the end? Everybody. I mean, it's absolutely going to Everybody's well. going to want to see it. Kids are going to see it multiple times. And when you're, when you're talking about 500, 600, you know, maybe seven, you know... I don't know if it'll get that high. I'm not a good box office person, so I shouldn't really say. But if it starts to edge up toward that number, yeah, yeah. there's no way it won't be nominated. Right. So um, keep an eye on that. And, yeah. you know, uh, of course, all the tech, the tech categories are great. The, the score, the cinematography, the art direction, and the visual effects are all just amazing in this. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe the best that they've ever ever turned out. I'd put this one, for me, it's right behind Prisoner of Azkaban as the best of the series you know those two i think are the best this last one and that one that that was the quaron right right yeah and his was just in a league of its own i mean it was so good um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because these movies succeed when you can watch them without really understanding what's going on and still enjoy the movie and both those directors managed to do that i thought um mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. other than that i mean we could also talk about um what we you talk about the help briefly we could talk about the help, and we could talk about the thing that that you were talking about on <clears throat> about Chris Chris Tapley and Ann Thompson's um, podcast about um, they did their Oscar talk podcast, and they were talking about the, yeah. the movies that they thought were you know Oscar worthy, Tree of Life and um, Super Eight mainly. Those were the two that they were talking about, right? Right. Yeah, I had some. Um, I was just looking for something to write about, and I kind of liked hearing them again. And uh, but they're only uh, dabbling. They're just in for one time. Then they're back on the in late August. And I guess mm -hmm. once late August, uh, that which they said uh, August twenty sixth. Then I guess they'll be uh, doing it on a regular basis. And I enjoy them, and I enjoy, enjoy listening to Ann because I always have an, an argument or two with uh, with something that they say. Right. Uh, you know, they're good people to uh, disagree with because they're both brilliant and good writers and everything. Right. The um, the thing that got me initially. I guess the last thing that I did say was that Chris passed along the the word of mouth that everyone has been hearing, which is that uh, Jason Reitman's film, which is called um, Young Adult, which mm. is uh, kind of a curmudgeonly, uh, uh, somewhat uh, unattractive uh, character played by Charlize Theron, who's a writer, who's not right. dissimilar to, and in fact, partially based upon that Diablo Cody, who wrote the script, based upon herself, basically. Mm -hmm. um, you know, goes back to um, her hometown to kind of try and see if she can get something going with her old boyfriend. Right. Unbothered by the fact that he's, you know, married and has a kid, I think. Uh, I think I, wait, I can't remember if they have a kid or not. 
mm-hmm. think a kid might be on the way or something. But it's it's appalling uh, about how insensitive and uh, um, kind of obnoxious she is in, in some sense. But she's deeply unhappy with her writing situation, and she's blocked. And I just thought it was really, uh, uh, I'm talking about the script that I read. I thought it was brazen and kind of bold that she, uh, that I had never seen a female character like this who was pretty, pretty, um, pretty, um, I don't want to be as banal and say dislikable, but she's certainly got some thorny elements to her. But I admired Diablo Cody's uh, uh, crafting of a person like this who comes out at the end with, with uh, you know, you respect her and you can see that she's capable of self-awareness and some growth. Mm. Um, and, you know, if you can't come up with new uh, permutations of, the, of, of, of female characters, I mean, there's very few uh, archetypes that, uh, you know, we could, we, you and I could sit down and make a list of them if we had more time to do it. But there's 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 too many uh, familiar um, uh, just you know descriptions or, or right. jackets that they put on women characters, and this is something new. So. Right. No, and I think that's great. And leave it to Diablo Cody, who's got the clout, you know, and yeah. Jason Reitman, who will, who's willing to do it. I mean, they, they make a great team. So what what Chris said is that uh, I don't know about this. I've heard that it's a Margot at the wedding. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> Meaning and, what exactly? And that was <clears throat> a film about the, the kind of a gnarly character played by Nicole Kidman, and and her sister played by Jennifer Jason Leigh. Mm-hmm. This is directed by Noah Baumbach, and she goes back to kind of be uh, part of the, the the family community to observe the wedding. Did Chris so, say it in a negative way? Because I haven't listened to their podcast. I guess I should. Well, that's what he said, and 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 as soon as Anne heard. Margaret went and she goes, ah, not good. And uh, I said, well, <clears throat> why is that not good? I mean, is because it, uh, Margot at the wedding is an unbearably awful film. <laughs> That's why I hope, I don't think it's in Jason Reitman to make that kind of a movie. I don't think it's possible for him to, he doesn't think that way. And he is, I mean, God, the guy's an entertainer. He knows mm-hmm. how to direct. I mean, he might not be the the world's most artistic director, unique director, but he knows how to make a movie that is entertaining. Um, I think what Chris was alluding to is that it's not as good as Margot of the Wedding. Oh, it's, God, good it's, Lord. It's like, it, it, Charlize's character is like Nicole Kidman's character in some sense. I hope not, because I couldn't watch that movie, and I hated it more than anything I've ever seen that but I, I hated it more than anything I'd ever seen that year. <laughs> I, I want to repeat, though, something important here, that right after I wrote up their conversation, some people wrote in and said you should listen to what apparently Jason Reitman's uh, friend, Bill Simmons, the uh, sports writer who also has this thing called Grantland.com, in which he writes about movies, and, and he has seen Young Adult. Mm, that okay. thing that I posted about this? I haven't read it yet, no. Uh He's told Chris Connolly. Chris Connolly uh, takes, does this uh, uh, podcast with him. It's called The BS Report. And he told Chris Connolly that he had seen Young Adult, He said, which is opening in December, by the way. They haven't given it an opening. According to what he said in this 7-6 podcast, it's going to open in December. He said he thinks it's tremendous, and here's what I really liked about it, other than the fact that it was just well done. <clears throat> Quote, remember when we said earlier about Tom Cruise being Tom Cruise and how he needed Jerry Maguire to do that and how you just watched him for two hours saying, you know, this is Tom Cruise throwing a 98-mile-per-hour fastball. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Charlie's Throne has never had a movie like that. Monster, you shouldn't. It shouldn't necessarily be Monster because that I don't think that should be her defining movie. She gained thirty-five pounds and made herself ugly for that. And she's beautiful. She's never had a really good movie movie in which she was really good, in which she was also beautiful. So it may, kind of made me real reevaluate her career. That's how good I thought she was in it. She knows that you know that she knows she's beautiful. I'm glad she made this movie. People will feel differently about her after they see it. So now you can uh, chalk that up to um, their, uh, he and Reitman being pals and his sacrificing his objectivity and his reputation, or at least cashing his reputation in to do a favor, or you can believe him, because he's a fairly perceptive a good writer. Right, it doesn't really it doesn't really get the whole Margot of, of the wedding off the hook, though, because you could have said the same thing about Nicole Kidman in that part. Uh-huh. She's really good in it, as right. excruciating, excruciating as it is to watch it. She's really actually really good in that part. I mean, she's basically good in everything she does, but Charlize Theron... As a beautiful writer coming back to her town, um, you know, I don't know. It's hard for me to see it as anything but what I think it's going to be, which is Jason Reitman, Diablo Cody writing really funny, very, you know, Juno-like dialogue. And Well, she um, made a point of saying at the Los Angeles Film Festival um, um, screenwriting seminar that she took part in that it is not the kind of snappy repartee thing that she's done before. That's interesting and strange. I don't think she's capable of writing a movie that's not. Although you sent me the young adult script, so I probably yeah. should read that before I say open up my big mouth and say anything else. But um, well, just just you know, kind of you can, you can read it without it spoiling. As I, I like to just kind of get a taste of what scenes feel like. I don't like to read the whole thing because I, I I like to have a third act, uh, you know, happen in a film. I don't like to read it. Well, the difference, I will say the difference right off the bat with it and Margot at the Wedding comparing them is that Margot at the Wedding was basically an unknown director and writer and and Nicole Kidman was the big star. And so you were looking at it as a, really as a vehicle for her. Um, yeah. I think with the young adult, you, you, you're going to look at Diablo Cody and Jason Reitman first and then Charlize Theron. Maybe after you see it, you'll change your mind, but you're not going to look at it like it's a, it's a star vehicle for her because the director's a star and the writer's a star. Uh-huh. So... You're looking at it in terms of their work, not necessarily in terms of her work. Um, so I think that makes it different right off the bat. I think that if, if anything, if it is indeed as esoteric and strange as Margot at the Wedding, which I doubt it is, but if it is, um, people might look at it and go, wow, Jason Reitman's really grown as an artist. Wow, Diablo Cody's actually stretched as a writer. You know, They might look at it like that, and therefore it will, it'll move it further along than if it, it was just what we're all expecting, which is a snarky... Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, unbelievable. Because who could believe Charlize Theron as a writer? <laughs> Sorry, but uh, uh, if you're if you're too good looking, dot dot dot. <laughs> yeah. Don't believe you're a writer if well, yeah. I mean, come on. Going back to her hometown to dig up some old boyfriend. I mean, that's not Charlize Theron. Charlize Theron's the girl, you know, sitting at the at the by the hotel pool with like twenty millionaires lining up to date her. You know. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't have to go scrambling back to her hometown for a guy. But we'll see. Yeah. Keeping an open mind, you mm-hmm. know, it's one of the ones I can't wait to see, actually, because it sounds great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's interesting also that they've chosen, if that's accurate, what Simmons said, that they've chosen to keep it out until December, mm-hmm. uh, because that means they know they've got something that's going to be award quality. Right. Absolutely. 
They know they've got something. I seriously, do, if, if anything, calling it Margot with the wedding out is going to help to downplay it a little bit, so people's expectations won't be so high. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is great for the, which is great for them. That's what they right. want. They want to come in being underestimated, and surprising right. everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Tree of Life has a shot at Best Picture. Not even. It maybe yeah. has a shot at cinematography. Maybe. But even right now, it's starting to fade in people's minds. It didn't hit the way it should have. Um, do you uh, do you believe what? I, do you uh, agree with what I was saying? Uh, Anne was saying that one, she felt that the Academy had done the right thing by uh, introducing this new rule that says <clears throat> a film cannot be nominated for Best Picture unless five percent of the membership five percent that's not insignificant put it at the top of their list as the best film of the year in their judgment. It can't be one of those films that's very, very good, but it's not the best. You mean like if it's a whole bunch of people's number two or three, it has to be all the films nominated have to be at least 5% number one. Yeah. Yeah. That means that the, uh, the very goods are not going to make it. That means that they could have eight nominees, you know, and not 10. Yeah. Oh, it could. Can I ask a question? Well, then imagine you're not going to get 5% people to put Tree of Life at number one. Not even. Not even. Not even right now. Before yeah. all the other movies come out. Even right now, they wouldn't be, it wouldn't be put at the top. So, so uh, and then, so anyway, Anne said. <clears throat> and forget Super 8, too. If, if that's how you're going to go about it. That's not going to be number one movie. For anybody. I don't think that was ever the intention on anyone's part. I don't either. But I mean, if that's the kind of stuff you have to do to get nominated now, you're not going to. A movie like Super 8 is going to have a really hard time getting in. And a movie like Harry Potter is going to have a hard time getting in. Yeah. If that's the case, because what kind of adult person is going to put that as their number one movie of the year? Mm -hmm. So that's tough. That makes it tough. If it were, uh, as he said, if if this were uh, the system we had in 09, 010, where there's 10 nominations, they could. Certainly give it a Best Picture nomination because as a tribute to the uh, econ- economic uh, powerhouse that it has been, that franchise, for so long. And it's kind of a, <clears throat> you know, pop the champagne, you're over. Uh, it was uh, an amazing series. So. so does that 5% rule mean that last year there were films that had a lot of number ones but um, didn't make it because the number twos, there were higher number twos or something like is that why they instituted it? Because they had to pick films that were dropping down to two, number two and three instead of picking the number one films? And if they didn't have enough for number ones, they'd just pick eight films? Do, do you yeah. Know? Uh, well, yeah, you know, the whole complicated thing that's hard to explain. Very hard and very hard to understand. <laughs> you don't make it <laughs> Especially certain- if you smoke too much pot when you're younger, like I did. But anyway, sorry, go ahead. Uh, like Ann Thompson mentioned, <laughs> Steve Pond did a pretty good idea, a pretty good um, uh, job of uh, explaining how it works and how yeah. <coughs> if you don't have a certain <coughs> certain amount of votes your uh the the votes that go to your film get sent to other films because you're out of the running um right and it's, and it's, it's nobody understands it really but uh steve pond does and others do but basically I, what you're saying is that they're not going to drop it down to number i should ask steve this but basically you're saying they're not even going to drop it down to number two they're only going to pick films that get number in in the number one spot yeah so that means that there might not even be 10. I, it couldn't it theoretically be, be even four, you know? I mean, it wouldn't have to be five, would it? I mean, everybody has said it's going to be five, uh, or it could be six, or it could be seven. But why couldn't it be four? Why, you know, it's, it's conceivable. It's know? really weird to think of it that way, isn't it? Because, yeah. you know, 
um, even if, if, let's say, a film, let's say Tree of Life, gets 2% at number one, then it's discarded anyway. Even though it got all those number ones, it's not quite enough. But they're yes. not going to then drop down to those people's number twos because they're only going to concentrate on number one, right? Uh, yeah. See, that's, that's uh. strange. I'm going to have to ask Steve because supposedly every Academy member's vote is supposed to count. So if you Tree of Life is your number one movie and let's say Warhorse is number two and you discard the first one, Tree of Life, then does Warhorse get counted into Warhorse's pile? If it's already... <laughs> oh, God. Oh, shoot me. <laughs> Having this somewhat Sorry. complicated uh, math <laughs> discussion with someone who enjoys part, you know working out the numbers and it really is fun if you're into mathematics <laughs> i don't uh, i don't feel the, the the fervor you know no i don't either i think you just have to think okay what movie are people going to pick for number one what's the best considered among the best so like let, let's take last year last year um what movies would have been dropped off well the kids are all right was going to get dropped off for yeah. sure um yeah, yeah. you can see that right away and uh you know the, the probably the movies that didn't have director nominations are the ones that would get dropped off right so um but you got to stop typing jeff i can hear every little tap 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 i'm sorry you know what it is it's recording uh, oh, onto the recording so i'll have to cut it out i it's okay i, I i've stopped typing um it's just because I, there's this dolby thing tomorrow and they've been sending me the uh itinerary and they've been sending it the whole time to groover one at um, me.com. I, I don't ever look at that. In fact, I don't, I don't even know where to look for it. Do you know where, how do you get a, the me account? I don't have a first clue how to do that. Uh, you have to set it up in your, um, your mail, your Apple mail. You just go to, um, apple.com and, and no, uh, you go into your Apple mail. Do you use Apple mail? Never. You don't? What do you no, use? I never do. You're kidding. I've been a Gmail guy all my uh, last four years. I know, I but you put that, your Gmail in your Apple Mail. You put it in there. So you, I, you open up Apple Mail and you go, this is so easy, Jeff. You should try it. It's so easy. You go to File, Add Account. Under Gmail? Um, no, in your Apple Mail. See there? Well, where is Apple Mail? It's in your Applications folder. It's got a little, it's a little square stamp with an eagle, an eagle on it. You just click on it, and then you add account, and you can add any account, your Gmail, your me.com, and all your mail will get downloaded onto your computer. Oh, yeah, here it is. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I have 163 messages, yeah, okay. Did you add it on? Uh, well, after we do this, after we do this, Perhaps you could uh, go over it with me just one more time. I, I'd really appreciate it if you would, actually, after yeah. we finish speaking. I don't want to uh, uh, go uh, have people listen to a tutorial here. So <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. So anyway, okay. So, <laughs> so all of that gobbledygook about the voting, because it's stalling our our conversation here is just basically to say that, yeah, I mean, there's a really good chance there won't be 10, which is going to make it really hard to predict best picture. Right. Which right. for all of us Oscar knuckleheads, it'll, yeah. it'll make it for a really fun year. Right. You know, it was my belief after seeing a uh, film called the help, which is a, uh, uh, produced by Chris Columbus. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of a, a staid and rather sedate, uh, uh, historical drama 
but uh, it's basically about racism in the South and the mm. thing that is that sets it apart. Of course, it's based on a book that it's a pretty big bestseller, and I could see <clears throat> that uh, from the reactions of some of the women in the audience that I was that I saw it with at the Clarity Screening Room that it's that it's very emotionally affecting, and I think that it might do pretty well. I think it's going to be a hit, and I and I do believe I um, could be wrong, but I I really do believe that the um, that the the two actresses that I consider to be uh, uh, the leads. Um, what's wrong with me? That would be Viola Davis. And and what I'm trying to remember. Uh, sorry, Octavia. I can't remember the first name. I keep saying Olivia. Octavia Spencer. Who you I mean, interviewed on your site? Who I interviewed very briefly at a party last night. Yes. Mm-hmm. Just chatting with her. So uh, yeah. they're great. I, I think they're really good. So you think and, they're supporting more material? Yeah. They're yeah, I think you're right, and I don't know how they just choose what they tend to do. If there's a lot of people that are deserving, they'll choose one from the film. Who's the more um, no, or the, both, like uh, Amy Adams and um, was Amy Adams, by the way, mentioned or uh, nominated in for Doubt? Do you remember that? Whether yes, she, she was uh, nominated for Doubt. And was somebody, wasn't uh, Viola Davis also meant? Um, I'm pretty sure. Let me double check. But um, she was so great in doubt. That's when I thought this woman is so, she's going to be. Uh, she's always good. She's yeah. so good. She's so consistently good. And yeah, she was wonderful in that. Um, but, you know, the Academy, they need to nominate more minorities. And that'll help these, both of these two. And I, I bet that both of them get nominated, and and they'll be the only the movie's only nomination. Although it might get in for screenplay too. Um, Viola Davis and Amy uh, Adams. Were, screenplay. Maybe, maybe screenplay. Um, yeah, Amy Adams and Viola Davis were both nominated for Doubt. Yeah. But Penelope Cruz. So they'll both be nominated for this. That's what I'm saying. It depends upon how. They'll both be nominated. Definitely yeah. in the, there are two names definitely in supporting actress after this film. Now, I say this carefully because I have not reviewed it. And I think that you that most people are going to review it as a film that is uh, a problem for them because they do not care for these films that are about confronting and dealing with uh, racial prejudice, racial issues, right, uh, right. people living, you know, sad or, or, or difficult or miserable lives because of the way they are treated, because of the color of their skin. It's uh, and and this is in the Jim Crow South of the early '60s. Although not really Jim Crow, because it's amongst the, uh, the something of the middle class elite in Jackson, Mississippi. Hmm. Jackson, Mississippi was uh, was one of the most staunchly uh, you know racist areas of the country back then. And uh, as we know, uh, the, the, the civil rights workers whose uh, uh, story was fictionalized in Mississippi burning by uh, Alan Parker, uh, that happened in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Uh, um, it's, it's, you know, it's a very staunchly racist. But the bad, the bad racists the, uh, are, are all women. It's all about women. It's not, guys barely figure in this. Uh, peripherally, as partners, as employers, as fellows, you say hi to at a party, but they're not part of the real story. It's all women. Hmm. So it's, you know, it's a gender uh, thing that <clears throat> I think it's going to work for, for female audiences. Uh, I mean, over, you know, over 25 and educated. And um, Yeah, so maybe maybe the fact that it's about women and minority women will save it from being like a whitey saves the black man, the black woman yeah. idea, you know, which is going to bug critics for sure. They're gonna they're gonna bomb it for that, uh, but I but I it's she doesn't exactly save them. What she does is she's 
an enterprising journalist looking to do something, and they, uh, uh, to their credit in, in the film, they're strong enough or they're, they're, they're sick of being treated like the way they're treated, which is like less than human uh, kind of, you know, people who don't warrant, don't deserve respect or not can, can just make do with crummy salaries and that sort of thing. Mm. Uh, there's one woman that begs her employer if she could borrow $75 so she can afford to send her other son to a state college or something. It's an education thing, and she has to raise $75. And she says, uh, I'll be glad to, I'd be more than glad to uh, work extra hours, whatever you require me, if I could just, you know. And uh, <clears throat> the retort from Bryce Dallas Howard, who plays the Wicked Witch of the film, is, uh, you know, uh, borrowing money, is uh, that's not going to help your, your life. You've got to make it on your own, you know. We're, we're doing you a favor by saying no here. You know, it's, it's really awful. You know, it's just, mm. you just sit there seething at these people. And, of course, you're supposed to seethe. You're supposed right. to be repelled, but um, anyway, it's a it's a it's an okay film. In a, in a, it's 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 a little square though, a little square. Yeah. It could have been made in 1975. It could have been made in 85. It doesn't feel like a 2011 movie, right? But, right. But it's not a bad one. So. Not a bad one. Well, it might have to be a little bit better than that to crack the Oscar race, but unless it's got a really great publicity team. Well, don't you believe that if uh, performances are really exceptional? That as long as a movie doesn't stink, and as long as it makes some money, it, it's okay. Right? Yeah, if the performances are exceptional, and and they're and the best supporting actress category is as weak as it's been in the last few years, um, right. to my mind, it's kind of weak. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, mm -hmm. I think that they could they could hang in there, you yeah. know, to the end of the year. I would love to see Viola Davis nominated again. She's you know she's yeah. just amazing, and she's so underrated. Mm -hmm. And she deserves recognition. Um, you know, it is depressing to look back throughout the Oscar years to see the, the people that got recognized versus the people who turned in great performances. I mean, it's such a game that gets played. Uh, and if, if they play the game right, they'll be in. You know, if they don't, well. Fine. So. Yeah. So anyway, that was that was that was the week that was. wasn't wasn't the the, the great. <laughs> you know, I've had more exciting weeks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, it's the most beautiful week uh, uh, weather-wise. This is the most one of the most amazing weeks in that so many days were all blue skies and no mm -hmm. clouds. And this is the city, of course, of of white angels in the sky. It's about uh, overcast white clouds, yeah. and it was one of the most beautiful weeks I can remember in a long time. I know, and it must be so nice riding around on your scooter in this weather. Just doing that today, you know, just to get to the Harry Potter, I was getting depressed because. If I had the car, I, I allowed myself to, to I, you know, I had to be there at 10 a.m. It was 9.25. I was coming out of the shower. I'm not going to make this. By the time I got, you know, dressed and all ready and ready to mm. go out in the world, it was like almost quarter of. So between quarter of and 20, I said, this is ridiculous. Well, yeah. look, maybe they started it late. And, but I'll tell you, I got to that theater in the garage, parked and up within. Uh, I was there by uh, like 10 after. It started at 5 after or something. Oh, they I let missed, you in late? I, I missed about four minutes, three minutes. Hmm. It has a beautiful beginning. I'm sure. Um, you know, I thought it was strange that the theaters weren't full. Like the theater I saw it in, usually when you get into one of those early screenings, it's packed and impossible yeah. to get in. But they had the entire man Chinese devoted to this international screening. Mm -hmm. um, 
all the theaters were basically empty and ours was three quarters of the way full, but there were still yeah. plenty of seats. You know, we right. got there early to ensure good seats, but mm-hmm. we could have got there late and had no problem. Strange. Well, um, do you, can you tell me there was a big crowd uh, lining up to go to something as we came out? What do you think that was for? Not, not for Harry Potter, that was for something else, of course. No, it was Harry Potter. They were showing another screening of Harry Potter, I thought, after. To another group of journalists, you say? That's what I heard, that there was also a one o'clock screening of right. it. Yeah. Okay. okay. That's a huge, you know, freebie screening. I, I think they're really, they know and that I they're going to make the way, bank. I thought it was decent uh, 3D, didn't you? I didn't have any problem with that at all. I, I did fun. have a problem with the 3D, but I figured that it wasn't so important that I could have, that I had to see it on 3D. Like, it was fine. It wasn't, a, it was like Avatar. It wasn't obtrusive. It was nice. It enhanced it. it, it it's just like a... Um, you know, there's an action on Photoshop that I have called Boost, which is you just hit it and it, it heightens all the colors, it sharpens it, um, and it just, you know, transforms your photo, makes it more vibrant. And, and that is what this 3D did. It just enhances everything. And with Avatar also. Avatar is, you can't watch it without 3D. Um, but this one, I think you could. I don't think it makes that much of a difference. Um, there weren't a lot of things jumping out at you. It wasn't that kind of 3D. It was just to make it look prettier. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I have, by the way, have watched Avatar once on Blu-ray at my home. I thought it was fine. I didn't have a sense of loss that I wasn't getting the whole thing. I mean, it's yeah. uh, it's, it's it works pretty well, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, I didn't think so. I can't even watch it that way. This looks so bad, so cheesy. It looks like a cartoon. <laughs> Whereas when you're watching it in 3D, it really looks like that they're you're watching a real world. Okay. Otherwise, it just looks like flat animation, and so then you're just dependent on the story. It's still a pretty spectacular animated film, yeah. But yeah. it's not what it was on 3D. So, mm. Um, mm. but uh, yeah. So let's see. What are we looking at next um, weekend? We should at least. Uh, well, you're going to San Francisco to test out the Dolby surround sound, Dolby Seven. Dolby Surround 7, that's right. That's Surround what it's called. Surround 7, yeah. And that's going to be and too soon. For the first time in my life, and the last time in my life, at the Mark Hopkins, which I've uh, been looking at all my life when I go up there. You know that, that uh, hotel? No, no, God. Is that, that's the one on Knob Hill? Yeah, directly across from the Fairmont. It's, uh, oh, so beautiful. Uh, my father stayed there uh, when he was a businessman in the 50s. There was a scene in Bullet. Steve McQueen, that that was the the the, uh, the kind of the lead gangster character, goes to ask for messages there. Oh God! Wow. Uh, I really called kiss them for me that uh, was set at the Mark Hopkins as far as the hotels, and it's a famous uh, famous place. Well, I'm really looking forward to your coverage of it. I was going to go, of course, but real on the real life got in the way, so of course I can't go. But yeah, um, I can't wait to uh, big one. uh, uh, besides Harry Potter is really nothing because nobody wants to compete with Harry Potter. So all there is is um, the smaller films, the best of which uh, and I feel um, I'm talking about next Friday, of course, yeah. is Errol Morris's tabloid, um, which right. you didn't see yet. Right? Not yet, you know, no. I, I think I have something on Wednesday for that. Oh, yeah, that's the, we're going to uh, actually be at the same screening. It's at the um, Vista. And there's gonna oh, you're going to be, be back by then? I'll be back, sure. It's over on Wednesday morning, so I just come back. You know. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. So um, uh, that's, a, that's a clever, funny 
very perverse. Uh, uh, I, I was asking Errol Morris as we were speaking for a little brief interview, what's the difference between being amused and bemused? <laughs> amused is, I think, um, uh, children can be amusing, a cartoon can be amusing, a light comedy can be amusing, but if there's a little distance, a little sardonic distance, and uh, there's kind of a, you're, you're chuckling inwardly as much as outwardly, and uh, you're appreciating the irony and the, uh, the mild perversity of something, then it's more of a bemusing thing. Yeah, so yeah, this absolutely. is more bemusement. I always think of what John F. Kennedy Jr. said in an interview once when he was, they said, well, what, did you, what do you think your mother would have thought of George Magazine? Mm-hmm. And he said, I think she would have been bemused by it. <laughs> and whenever I think of the difference between amused and because she wouldn't have been amused, she would have been bemused. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's a, a, it always helps me to understand it. Um, yeah, and Errol Morris, absolutely. God, I can't wait to see that. That's one of my most anticipated movies, right. tabloid. It just sounds so weird. And I um, tried, I, I intended to see the Sarah Palin uh, documentary called The Undefeated, mm-hmm. uh, which is opening also in select areas of the country. Mm. Uh, you know, the GOP, Palin-friendly areas of the country, uh, Orange County included. <clears throat> but isn't it funny that, that for a person who uh, quit in the middle of her gubernatorial uh, term in order to make money, uh, who lost the presidential election, why do they pick the undefeated? I mean, I guess they, they, they think that she's undefeated and that she's undiminished or she's unrelenting she'll keep coming i could get that the unrelenting i could i could understand that title but she's clearly been defeated and and it is a kind of defeat to say i quit i don't care what reasons and particularly when you're quitting in, in order to make money which is uh, open to any politician after they leave office to have at it but to quit a job before you finish your term in order to capitalize on the money that you can make that's really creepy yeah you mean yeah. You're, you're wondering why they call it that yeah, that's what they've got. You know, obviously they must mean it means something about her. Or, I don't yeah. think so. I mean, I think it's about her, but it's more about their stupid party. The I'm mm-hmm. sorry, Republicans. Anybody listening who's Republican, but yeah. it's really about that. We are undefeated. You know, not just Sarah Palin. It's them, their movement. Um, yeah. She's the rallying cry for their stupid movement. You know, their movement of dumb people. <laughs> she, she's their thing, and so this movie is is their chance to get together and to you know um, bolster their their offense. Really, that uh, the best uh, speech, the best rant by far of the uh, of the week, and one of the best I've ever heard from Bill Maher is the one that he makes. Uh, says uh, for the if the certain one percent that votes Republican, given what those guys are about these days. Right. I totally understand that because that's about the number of people that are directly benefiting from all the breaks given to the millionaires. But the other 49%, the people who are doing it for cultural reasons, who right. you know, persuaded to do it because they think they're standing up for cultural values because the guys like you know, Karl Rove and others have been smart and devious enough to attach voting Republican to gay marriage or stopping gay marriage or whatever the other things that they feel is eating away at the moral fabric of the country. And um, those people are the stupidest people. There really isn't any word for it. It's stupid. It's not comprehending what they're doing and how, they're, with how their interests are not those the same interests as, as the multimillionaires who are being favored right now in the budget talks. And, right. You know, it's just horrible. 
So. No, I know. I mean, it's, it's hard to even fathom it. Uh, so much of it seems to be about racism, but it's also just about our, our you know, our, um, our combative culture. You know, you're on one side or you're on the other. You're either with us or against us. You know, it's, you know, Casey Anthony's innocent. She's guilty. You know, it just seems like right. there is so much of that. And, and the politics, you know, just plays right into it. People don't really care, I don't think, what the issues are. They just know that they don't want to be on Obama's side. You know, they don't mm. want to be on the Democrat side. They don't want to be on the liberal side, you know. So I just don't think a lot of people pay attention to what's going on. Obviously, they don't. You know, they're watching the, the fucking trial. They're watching American Idol. They're watching So You Think You Can Dance, you know. 40%, who was it? Uh, was it somebody on Bill Maher's uh, show said that 40% of the country wouldn't vote for Obama if he personally dove into a pond and saved them from drowning. Right. He's black. <laughs> I mean, not only is he black... It's so funny because if he were a white guy from Texas, you know, some, you know, really stupid hick from Texas, and he was our president, and he did exactly the same perform job performance he's doing right now, he'd be hailed as the greatest president ever. You know, Obama's doing a pretty goddamn good job, and yet, because of our, you know, extremely racist country, I think he, they're looking at him and they're saying he's doing a terrible job. Or they're holding him up to impossible standards on the left, you know, and on the right, they're just being racist but on the left you know everybody thought that he was gonna you know part the red sea and turn water into wine and when he didn't he did an adequate job he's doing a pretty good job he's not like fucking up and um to, in yeah, my mind yeah. but the people feel that this is um what's going on with the uh, republican fallating of the corporate culture is um is really makes the uh, you, you know, you they get they teach us in school. They tell you about the in high school uh, history class about the robber barons of the 1890s and the turn of the century and how uh, they're, they're really the corporate uh, uh, greed, the excessive power grabbing, the absolute the corruption was so rank. Uh, and you really you know trust busters. That's a that's a term that goes back to the uh, to Teddy Roosevelt's uh, and he was one of them. But he had the character to like like call a spade a spade. Harry Truman was uh, uh, also uh, called as pay of spade when it, when it came to dealing with these guys. Yeah. And Barack Obama, God love him, he doesn't have them, the cojones. He's afraid of being angry or he's, he must be mild-mannered. And it drives me up the wall that he, uh, that he keeps doing that. And there's other people that are very, very angry at him for just kind of like nicing these people and saying, why don't you show your civic uh, responsibility, fellas, and uh, let's, let's come to a, common, to a meeting of the minds. Let's work it out. You know, you know that he's not stupid enough to really believe that these people are, are interested. I mean, they're, they're really interested in, in being purists and, being, and bringing things to the brink of Armageddon. And uh, they're, they're, they're not, they don't give any indication that they're even slightly interested in being, you know, quote-unquote reasonable about this. Right, right, except that... You know, in a way, I, th I still think that Obama got elected precisely because of that. And I think that, you know, him being a black man, he has to, he can't be the angry black guy, you know? He that's, just can't. That's really a shame. I, I would love him to be a, I would too, but he can't do that. I mean, he's having a hard enough time as it is. So I think I think he's doing it, in my opinion, the right way. Yeah, he's not, he's not getting angry the way that we are. Um, but he's got people getting angry for him. I just, I loved when he got Osama bin Laden <laughs> and he announced it to the people and he just said it. Here you go. Yeah, I shot nice. him in the face. He turned right, <laughs> turned on his heel and walked away. I was like, whoa, man. He's Gary Cooper in High Noon, you know? 
<laughs> well, that was nice. Everybody uh, took uh, you know, considerable pleasure in that. That was very nice. Yeah, floats yeah. like a butterfly, stings like a bee. I mean, his actions prove his anger, I think. But I agree with you that he's not our mouthpiece for our fury and what's been happening lately in the country. Um, but God, don't you think we've got enough of that out there with, with what's on Fox News and what's on MSNBC? Just everybody's sort of tearing each other apart. You know, the last thing we need is for our president to do it. Um, uh, I don't feel that. I feel very satisfied. I'm sorry. I don't think anybody that's a, a good liberal feels satisfied to be uh, def deferential and, um, and moderate and cool-headed with these people that really make Richard Nixon, Barry Goldwater, other classic Republicans yeah. almost like liberals. Right. I think that he has to be that way because he's black. And I think if he, if he even, you know, if he picked up a stick and started waving it at them, they'd, they'd shoot him. You know what I mean? It's like, he, mm -hmm. I don't think we know what it's like to be a black person in America. I don't think we know, we have any idea what it's like to walk into a store and have women like grab their purse or look at you funny if you're a black guy coming down the, the street in, at, at night. If it's a white guy, nobody cares. If it's a black guy, you know, the women tense up and um, you go into a store, people ask what you're doing. I mean, I just don't think white people have any concept of that. And I think Obama absolutely does. And I think that's how he became president. And I really don't think, I mean, I respectfully disagree with you. I really don't think that his picking up a stick and waving it is the right move. Getting elected as president was the right move. Okay. Just well, my opinion. I'll be voting for him, but I, but I, and I, I think he's, uh, obviously a superior uh, fellow to be in the office than um, Tim Pawlenty or Mitt Romney or, you know, nobody is remotely thrilling on that on the other side. Or even, oh, even God. No, it's like David Carr said. Did you watch David Carr on, um, on Bill Maher? David Carr in New York Times. Him. What, what did he say? Remind me. He said, it's like the tallest leprechaun contest <laughs> 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 on the right. <laughs> so, funny. yeah, he's right. It is. It's the tallest leprechaun. Obama's got it, you know. <laughs> as long as he doesn't do anything that, that they can, like, Howard Dean his ass out of office. Right. You know, Howard Dean. Not judged on his policy, judged because he, he made like some kind of a gaffe because yeah. we're just that petty, right. you know. Right. So right. if Obama just keeps playing it cool, he'll be reelected, I think. Right. Yeah. Um, All so, right. Well, this is, a, this is a good one. We didn't do, I don't know if we did an hour. We don't have to do an hour every every, every uh, time we speak, you know. We, 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 well, we actually up. did do an hour. <laughs> but is there anything else Oscar-wise we should talk about now that we've been upstaged in the Oscar arena by Chris Tafflin and Thompson's like, yeah, they're sitting there talking about politics and, you know, scooters, and we're talking about the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, um, I, I would uh, say that um, I, I, I started to get more and more of a feeling um, about I don't like Warhorse even having not obviously sight unseen because of the music <clears throat> that I uh, heard in that uh, John Williams clip that came, of course, from the trailer, but just to listen to the music alone. Um, you know, I can start, I can, I can feel, uh, let's, you know, kind of like beat up Warhorse, uh, or, you know, even before it gets here. I know that it's going to be one of the five because it's... Oh, my God. It's about a horse suffering and uh, his purity and his nature and he's being, uh, <clears throat> you know, almost killed and God knows what happens to him. I know it's pretty, pretty rough going. Uh, and there's also, I don't know if he makes anything of it, but there was a very uh, 
moving theme uh, that, uh, as we all know, uh, Robert Bresson did with this film about a, a donkey getting sort of, you know, spat upon and treated badly and kicked and, you know, just, you know, uh, be, being treated by the lowest class of uh, being there is. And he's kind of a saint figure. So mm -hmm. you know, if, if unless Spiel, Spielberg is an idiot and he tries to make it just about people's emotions and where's my horse and I got to save my horse. You know, like my dog Glassy, it's at the horse. Mm. If he if he has any poetic sense, he'll. Well, I tell you what. Um, just like you're betting on a horse race, if you yeah. know going into the race that you've got a winner already, that I mean is potentially a winner. Yeah. Um, there are a few names um, when when every Oscar year comes around that if if they're in the race, you know that you immediately move them to the top of the pile. Steven Spielberg is one of those. Scott right. Rudin is one of those. Harvey Weinstein is one of those. Um, and it just. To, you know, you underestimate him at your own peril. It might suck. You never know. But it has to immediately be considered mm -hmm. um, like the movie to beat. So if you go to my page right now, awardsdaily.com, you'll see that I just posted um, the poster. I don't know if you already got this, but it's the extremely loud and incredibly close poster. Oh, no, I haven't seen Yeah, and it looks like it, it appeared first on joeblow.com. And... Um, Tom well, you, Hanks. You have a Sherlock Holmes character back there. Oh, yeah, here it is. I got it. Right. And Tom, somebody took a. This is, in other words, somebody shot it uh, against a wall somewhere. Is that it? I don't know what it is. I just, somebody tweeted it to me and, and I just posted it. But. You think it's, uh, but it looks. Fake. You think, I it don't looks think fake. It's, is it supposed to be the poster? I don't know what it is. I don't uh, know. I'm sure we'll hear from their publicity team. <laughs> well, I'm looking at it right now, Sasha, seriously. And I, I know. Uh, I don't think I've it looks, but here's my question for you. Okay, let's well, just say that it's real. Yeah. It might be fake. It might turn out that it's fake, but let's just it say that it's... It doesn't look real is what my feeling is. It doesn't look real to me either, but here's my question. Should I, write, I guess I should write on my post is, do we think this is real? Because um, it looks, I mean, that's really tedious just to have their two well, big here's, faces. Yeah, exactly. This is what I wanted to ask you. Do you think that his recent bombing out with um, Larry Crown will have any sort of effect perception-wise on this. It's Tom Hanks' big face. I wouldn't sell it as Tom Hanks and Sandra Bullock. I'd sell it as what the story is. I would. The story what is do about I know? The, the, the child uh, um, having a, uh, a key that his father left behind and about re remembering um, and, and putting it all together in his head, along with his mother being there and everything. But Tom Hanks barely figures as a co-star. No, he's a tiny part. I wouldn't even put him on the poster. I'd, I'd just totally eject his ass off that poster. Yeah. Yeah. It would be, for me, it would be a, some kind of a, well, I guess they can't really put 9-11 on there. That's probably tasteless, some kind of World Trade Center photo. But, you know, um, I tell they you what. indicate whether this is this has got to be some fan thing because it really is. <laughs> um, I'll I tell you. I know Scott Rudin or anybody involved in this, and they wouldn't approve this. I don't think so either. I don't think so either. It looks cheesy, Hallmark Hall of Fame. But um, can I just say one thing yet again yeah. about that script? That is one of the best scripts I've ever read, that Eric Roth script. Okay. I mean, it's just, did you read it? Too lazy. I oh, Jeff, it. you have to read it. It's so good. I, I make a point of reading it. Uh, I did read about 40 pages of it, and I said, well, okay. I just couldn't, I don't know what, what, why I didn't continue, you know, uh, but I continue. It's, it, that movie's going to be like a flip of the coin. It could be the best movie you've ever seen, or it could be bad. You know, it really is going to depend on the performance of the kid and the subtlety of the director. But I tell you, it is a great script. 
-hmm. no matter what. That's that's what I felt like, you know, when you read Charlie Wilson's War the first time before they ruined it and cut out the ending. (laughs) That was one of the best scripts I'd ever read, too. Boy, was that a good script. But yeah, they ruined that. (laughs) So we'll have to see how this turns out. But anyway, so maybe you'll hear from Mr. Scott Rudin and let me know if, if it turns out that it's real. I'm, I'm sure we'll hear from them within minutes after posting this, though. Yeah, because I don't think comments are going to be very positive. I mean, I'm supporting the movie because I I love the script, but is this is tweeted by somebody who's uh, you've read before, or well, it's uh... it's posted already on JoeBlow.com, and they're a legitimate site. Obviously. Yeah, they are. <laughs> so no, and then somebody re- somebody tweeted it to me, and. And then, and then the first comment was, wow, that's awful. (laughs) No way they'll really (laughs) use that. Right. (laughs) So, So. yeah. Okay. Well, that's it. So we close our podcast with something good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's probably gonna be those two is what you're saying. You think those are the two leaders probably. I don't know. I hate to say that because I feel like I'm cursing the movie. If I say that war horse, um, it already won the Tony. It's, yeah. kind of been put before audiences you know spielberg really just doesn't have to screw it up and it'll be in this one's a little more tricky you know it's from it's from a book the book was sort of reviewed you know people were kind of like yeah it's all right you know it's a good movie but i mean it's a good pl- it's a good book but it's a little cloying it's a little this so with tom hanks and a kid and i mean they're, they're just gonna have to be subtle with it they're gonna have to play it they can't sap it up. If they sap it up, it won't be good. I love it, though. So far, I mean, it's just, I think it's a wonderful screenplay. Really, mm-hmm. really moving. If only it would it would play exactly as I read it, exactly as it is in my head. <laughs> I anticipate it's going to be those two, and I would love to see um, either The Descendants or uh, Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy, or... Um, um, yeah, the descendants is probably in, you know, actually I, I have to retract something I said, I, yeah. I, I looked at the best picture lineup from last year and I really do think that kids are all right is the only movie that wouldn't have made it. All the other ones I think would, were definitely number one, the fighter, black swan, inception, um, toy story three. These are all number one movies. So I think if we, if they did that thing last year, I bet you that there would have been nine out of 10 and, and kids are all right would have been dropped or maybe even winter's bone. Right. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe eight. Yeah. Eight yeah. strong ones last year and two weak ones, which was winter's bone and um, kids right. are all right. And maybe 127 hours, maybe, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but all the other ones were number one. Okay. So seven out of 10. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Can yeah, you give yeah. me seven out of ten? So I'll be curious to see how it plays out this year. I'm excited about it, though. Just the surprise factor. I mean, after 12 years watching the Oscar race, you know, we're grateful for any little tiny surprise we get. Me. I just asked Mr. Rudin about it, so maybe he'll call back. Or, or I mean, uh, text back or whatever. So. Oh, yeah. Will you let me know what he says? Absolutely. I'm I'll tell you right away. Dying to hear. <laughs> okay, so, Mr. Wells. I know, think... Can we sign off and then can you just... Quickly tell me about the mail yeah. thing. Yeah, so let's just say goodbye, and then we'll we'll, we'll talk about Okay, so okay. we'll right. talk next week about, I guess. Uh, yes, and if you'd like to do an on-the-fly podcast from San Francisco, let me know. Maybe we could do that. That'd be fun. You know, like, hi, I'm at the convention center for the Dolby, you know. Actually, I think it's just that they're uh, headquarters somewhere in the city. 
uh, mixed with uh, select restaurants and uh, the Mark Hopkins Hotel. That's pretty much it. All right. Well, yeah. if anything interesting happens, let me know. Yeah, that would be fun. I would like to do that. Sure. Okay. All right. Nice talking don't, with you. Don't hang up. Okay. I won't. I'm just going to hit the stop for the record. Okay. Okay. You've been listening to Oscar Poker episode 40 with Jeffrey Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com and Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Oscar Podcast. And we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. The two songs on today's bumper music. The first is by the Red Hot Chili Peppers and the second is by Bob Marley. Bye.